Rolling Dice and Taking Names is sponsored by The Broken Token, creator of high-quality gaming accessories and storage solutions. Visit them online at thebrokentoken.com. Hey, y'all. On this episode of Rolling Dice and Taking Names... Whoa, 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 Adam. Where's your mom? She's putting up Christmas decorations and polishing the nutcrackers. All right, go ahead. On this episode, Marty and Tony review Victorian Masterminds and Fireball Island, plus information on a big sixth anniversary contest. Hey, since you're here, you want to hang around and talk about Blackstone Fortress? Sure, why not? Nice! Happy anniversary, baby! Got you on my mind! Happy anniversary, baby! Got you on my Mind. Welcome back to Rolling Dice and Taking Names. This is episode number 160, number 160, Sabotage by the Beastie Boys. And this is, that's right, people, our sixth anniversary, and I'm Tony. And this is Marty. I was waiting for you to come in. I know I was going on and on, man, but you should have gotten used to that after six years. So wait, hold on, hold on. I got an issue here. You always have an issue. You always have an issue. You pulling out naming this episode Sabotage when I believe it was what, just this year, you have even heard of that song? When did I say I never heard of Sabotage? I thought that's one that you did not know about. Maybe. I, I just, I know the video because I was watching the video and it's the one where they're doing the, the 1970s police action thing. I don't remember. It's like in every star, recent Star Trek movie, they use Sabotage in there. Yeah. I found that out too when I was researching it. So, okay. I'm, I am curious. It's our sixth anniversary. We should be celebrating it. Yet you named this episode Sabotage? Because of the two games we got to play and we will be talking about. Number one, Victorian Masterminds and that one chip. Sab- that the sabotage, you know? Oh. The, oh, mm. And the other one makes total sense. The other one is Fireball Island. You're sabotaging everybody, trying to hit them with the fireballs, knock them down, shoot some marbles at them. Okay, you don't shoot them. You don't flick them. You push them. But that's right. We're sabotaging the other people's attempt to collect snapshots and treasure to before they can get to the helicopter. The helicopter. And we made sure to say it that way as we played that game. Even though I didn't put it together. <laughs> Yeah. So, okay. Since because <laughs> because it's only going to be a five minute episode, let me get this part in here right now. <laughs> so Tony pulls out the the gorgeous, so well made Fireball Island from Restoration Games, which a lot of people have been excited about. Tony, you kickstarted it. We get it on the table, and so when we reference the helicopter, I believe it was Mark that was like said, "Wait a minute, isn't there supposed to be like a helicopter somewhere?" And you went, "Yep." And you pull out the cardboard press sheet that still has the helicopter inside of it unassembled. I wasn't going to put it together because I knew it was going to be a beast. See the tie in there? Beast? Beastie boys? I knew it was going to be a beast to get that and and um, Volcar and all the press islands back into the box from which it came. I, I appreciate the gimmick of it. I really, really do. And I understand why it's there so that you have to count getting off the copter to go one space onto the island. I completely understand that. And you also mark who has left the island. Understand that. But I was not. Do you understand that? I understood it. But I was (laughs) like, what I don't need to do is sit here for 20 minutes putting this thing together while you guys were waiting on me to have the board ready to go. Cause we had just finished Victorian masterminds and I didn't want your attention spans to wane. I would have liked to see what the helicopter looked like. I didn't get the full experience of the game. 
And then you never even put it together. We played the games and and, and multiple times. And it was never put together. It's is it still in the box with not punched out yet? I plead the fifth. Yes, it is not. Okay, so yes, production of this is amazing. I mean, the table. We have people coming up at Carolina Tabletops coming up to us, and they were going, "What is this?" And we're like, "Where you been under our freaking rock? This is Fireball Island." So we had to go through that whole spill. But then they said, "But that game is." Gorgeous. But unfortunately, there was a little snafu with my character, the blue character. You remember that? I do. Do you want to hit this now? Or are we doing the review now or are we doing it later? I'm confused. Uh, I, well, what I was going to Go ahead to say and do is, this because we're on the components. Go ahead. Yeah, we'll go we'll ahead and talk about this part right now. Go ahead. Well, the, the problem is that my blue character came out of the mold just a tad bit early. Yep. And it's missing its base. It made it kind of hard to play. <laughs> so, well, like there was a base... On one foot, but not on the other. So it wouldn't stand. So it was very easy to knock down. Basically, you kind of breathed on it and it just fell over. To give credit where credit is due, you know, Restoration Games, Justin, they've set up a form. And I've already filled out my form and said, this part is um, got some issues. I sent him a picture and with some of the other issues. And I'm waiting to see how it goes. I know they have been responding incredibly to the people's issues and also hopefully I'll have all that resolved here in a couple of weeks. However, it did not diminish from my experience of playing that game. It did not, but you were at a severe disadvantage because your character was easier to knock over, which is kind of part of that game. Yeah. And uh, I mean, you and I were sitting there going, what the heck? I'm, and then Mark, well, luckily Mark Kell pulled it up on um, BGG and said, nope, you're supposed to have a full base. Cause I'm like, what is this? Like a handicap for the blue person or something? What's up with this? <laughs> It's it, yeah. It's it's just a handicap version. If you're really good at Fireball Island, then uh, you you play with the uh, the blue person. But yes, we got Fireball Island in, Victorian Masterminds in, our sixth anniversary. Very excited. Six years. Six amazing years. We started in 2012, December of 2012, and I was going to say has a lot. I guess a lot has changed since then. You and I have changed because I went back and looked at pictures from six years ago. And I went, dang, uh-huh. I looked really young back then. Yeah, even that picture that was on Twitter with the mullet. That was a long time ago. <laughs> that was in my 20s. <laughs> yeah, because I threatened to bring the mullet back because it was just announced from McNossi that he's going to uh, print with the next expansion uh, for Detective, mm-hmm. which takes place in the 80s. And I said, well, if you're going to print, then I need to start growing the mullet out for when it gets here. Yeah, six years ago, let's see. We actually have microphones and not headsets. Um, we have um, recording Wait, we devices. Had micro- we had microphones and not headsets. We have microphones. Oh, and, oh, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, so this is one of those things that uh, six years ago, we had no clue what we were doing. <laughs> and, and it could be argued we still don't, but anyway. <laughs> That's true. It's, and six years later, we still don't know what we're doing. It's just that the equipment's better. Yeah, we were using, like, you were using, like, a regular head set mm-hmm. like earphones with a regular headset like you play for gaming mm-hmm. i think i had some sort of haphazard mic thing thrown together and we listened to it and we thought that sounds pretty good oh. and you go back and listen to episode one and oh man it's horrible at that time i didn't know anything about the editing process and the way to make things sound better and again, it could be said that uh, I still don't know how to make things sound better, but I know it does sound better than what it did six years ago. And thank goodness it was only 30 minutes. Wow. Oh my gosh. 
It is the funniest thing. Uh, One of the first things that we said out of the gate was, we're going to try to keep this show at 30 minutes. Yeah. I think yeah. it lasted one episode. Uh, yeah, well, that's okay. I, I'm fine with that. It's just funny how things, you're right, it has changed over six years. And we're going to go over our survey results in a future episode, but because we've got so much we want to get packed into this. Matter of fact, we do not want to disappoint. That is one fine looking bagger on your lawnmower. Yes. You saw a picture of that, eh? Good gosh, man. I'm like, that's almost as big as a semi. So I have got this new lawnmower, this uh, the zero turn radius lawnmower. If you've listened to our previous episodes, you know the story. Minecraft out, had to go get another one. Tony, I, you know you've been to my house. When we first picked out the lot for this house, one thing Vanessa and I said is we want a lot of trees. Mm-hmm. We want a very heavily wooded lot. And so we picked out a lot Sucker. and we said... Well, this this is this is the lot we're going to put a house in, and what we did is we took the tree line and basically cut a horseshoe into it and set the house back into that horseshoe. Ah, oh, look at that tree coverage shade. Then the fall got here, and um, as can be expected, all those trees shed their leaves, and now there's leaves everywhere. So for the past, we've been in this house for 14 years. I've had to deal with a crap load of leaves every single year and I end up like blowing them into the woods or trying to bag them. And I try to use the lawnmower itself as kind of a makeshift Mm -hmm. blower Mm -hmm. where I always go in one direction where I'm blowing the leaves a certain way. Well, when I got this mower, I said, all right, I want to make sure that there's a bagger attachment available. Sure enough, we got this from Lowe's. I said, yes, we have one. So in the fall, I'm going to order that. I got it. So I was all excited. And Lowe's got a message from Lowe's saying, okay, it's here. And we're going to have it shipped to you. So I said, great, just leave it in the garage. So I get home and there is this humongous box. And I went, <laughs> wow, okay, this this is a lot bigger than what I thought it was going to be. But I thought, awesome, I'm going to mow the yard tonight. I'm going to open it up and attach it. And let's see how this sucker works. So I opened it up and started pulling out piece after piece after piece and none of this looks like it goes together i finally get down to the bottom and find the instruction booklet of like 20 pages of how to assemble this beast and after flipping through it i realized i am not going to get that attached tonight so i said i'm gonna have to set aside a saturday to go and and see if i could get this thing put together and i was concerned because the rule book, the wow, the rule book. It is the a assi- rule book, yeah. <laughs> the assembly book for this is not that great. Every, all the pictures are in black and white. So it's hard to see any detail of how things are supposed to go. So I kind of looked through it. I finally found some pictures of online of what it's supposed to look like. So one Saturday, I get all the pieces laid out and we go to town. First off, you got to put this thing on the front, this frame that holds these two 10-pound weights to put in front of the mower, I guess to keep it from tipping. <laughs> tipping over. <laughs> I I go through the process of getting this sucker put on there. And here, I'm concerned the entire time. I'm worried I'm going to screw this up. This was like a $600 bagger. And all I need is to muck this thing up and ruin the mower and the bagger. So I get this attached to the basically the front fender of this thing. And I get the weights in. That was the easy part, come to find out. Because then there was this brace, this frame that had to be attached to the back. And when I read the warning in the book that said, do not crimp your vapor or fuel lines or you're going to really screw something up. So now I'm freaking out. 
And I'm going over these diagrams over and over again to make sure I do not attach something incorrectly because this attaches to the existing frame. At least they pre-drill all these holes in the frame. It's just finding which hole this stuff's supposed to go into. So I finally get that attached. And then that's for holding the baggers itself. And then I start trying to attach the bagger and I can't figure out how the bags are supposed to hang. And I'm like, is it upside down or do I have it backwards, forwards? And when I finally figured that out, there's a lid that goes on top. And this is where I got stuck too, because there's this lid that has these hinges and you're supposed to put these bolts through these hinges, but it wasn't manufactured exactly right. The tolerances were too tight. And then I had to kind of bend, and here's where I was getting worried. I started having to bend these hinges so I get them fit in and put these bolts through there so that the, the hinge would work. When I finally got that done, then I there's these tubes that run from the back of the bagger down to the basically not the exhaust, but where the grass comes out of the from the blades. There's this tab you have to take a hammer to and use a screwdriver and knock in the frame of tab on the frame of the lawnmower to attach this other thing. I'm freaking out. Now I'm damaging the lawnmower. And now I'm like, if this is wrong, I am really messed up. And then the last thing was I'm supposed to put this blade on the bottom and it looks like the blade has a little bit more curvature, I guess to make, maybe make more wind. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so it blows up in there. I could not get the freaking blade off the bottom of the mower. I had to raise this thing up using a car jack, then realize that that's not very stable to have a single <laughs> car jack <laughs> in the middle of your lawnmower as I'm underneath it, trying to twist this bolt what? to get off. I, and so the lawnmower's oh. rocking. My arm is underneath it. And I thought, OSHIP would probably not be happy with this no. entire process. So I find this bucket to stick under the front of the mower that in case the jack gives, at least it'll only drop like six inches before it hits the bucket, thinking that the bucket may break the fall before the uh, mower breaks my arm. And I still never got the bolt off. So I'm like, forget it. I'm just going to leave whatever blades on there is on there now. And next spring, when I take all the blades off for sharpening or whatever like that, then I'll replace it then. Because I'm going to have to have a bigger wrench with a lot more leverage mm -hmm. and some torque to get that sucker off. So I got everything on there. It's looking good. I'm like feeling good. I'm starting to pick up all the trash. And then I see off to the right, this small little bracket just lying there on the ground. I have no idea what it's to. I start looking through the manual. I see no picture of this bracket. It looks like it might have some importance to it. It's like an L-shaped bracket. Got a couple holes in it. And I got a couple bolts left over. So now I'm just absolutely freaking out. Screw it. Let's get on and see how this sucker works. And I started taking it around the yard. And it was working until I found out that um, after just one swipe up and down the, uh, the yard, the bags are full. So now I can't even go one loop around the yard without having to empty the bag every single time. So now it takes twice as long to mow the yard because I have to empty the bagger every time I make one loop in the yard. Now these are big, big freaking bags. Is it not mulching the leaves? It is mulching the leaves, but I guess so. I have so many leaves in the yard that it just fills them up really quick. So now I'm driving mm -hmm. down to the woods and dumping them off into the woods, putting them back on, one loop, come back, dump them, one loop, come back, dump them. But at least it is working. 
It's working. Well, that's good. And, and nothing is flying off and throwing it through windows or into car doors or anything like that. Not okay. yet. I, I can't say how it's going to happen. What's going to happen this weekend when I go over the yard again, because I think mm. now all the leaves are finally down. So we'll see how it goes in. So that's it. The baggers attached to the mower. It seems to be working. That was whole process was four hours to get that sucker on. And it was almost the end of rolling dice and taking names. And so lawnmower comes crashing on Marty's head. <laughs> I swear, I, I thought that one car jack would, would be pretty solid. And then no. I forgot about these 20-pound weights that I sit on the front of the frame that really messed up the center of gravity. So I'm sitting there work, trying to work that wrench, and the lawnmower's wobbling back and forth, left to right. Where, where's that hall son of yours? Where's Travis? Well, he's in college, and Adam was watching a ball game or something. So it's not like his college is far away. He's bring his <laughs> high end home. Come on, you you have three sons, three Hall sons who can come over there, and they those three could probably have lifted that mower. Oh, they probably could because it's really not 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 that heavy. But hey, if you're going to go out, you know, get a house, and there's a lot of trees around, just realize the kind of crap that you're going to have to put up with every year. Cause it's a lot of crap. See, once again, this would have been such good fodder for our YouTube channel. We kid about watch it mode. And there it was, there was an excellent opportunity for the watch it mode series on rolling dice and taking names. You trying to put on a bagger. If things would have gone bad, it would have gone viral. Otherwise it was actually a pretty boring process. But like I said, I was rereading everything six times. Mm-hmm. Kind of like we do with some of the rule books we come across. <laughs> yeah, don't, don't get me started. So while you're doing that, I mean, I I understand what you're going through, and luckily, you know, I used to have all those trees in my yard, so I know you're having fun. But I still have my blower, and it's a it's a steel blower, and my uncle was down on the weekend, and it needs to be rewound. Okay, the cord won't snap back, so. That's a general indication that the spring has sprung on the rewind. Sure. Right? So I have to go out and buy the um, star uh, bolts, you know, to undo the screws, the special screws. I don't have the right size. So uh, he's there. He's going to help me. He does all this small machine work. And I take off the cover of it. We're looking at it. Life is good. We need to get this snapped on. And he goes, yep, we sure do. And he's messing with it. And I go, okay, so what do we need to do? We need to rewind. And he goes, yeah, but it looks like it's not catching. And he goes in there and he takes the spring and lifts up the spring to try to get it to snap in. The whole thing just, you know, it's under, shoots out everywhere. Well, that's not good. He goes, nope, that's not good. <laughs> so you got a new blower? No, no. So we were trying to rewind the spring to get it back into the little casing. Right. And, and we couldn't get it tight enough. And I said, don't worry about it. Let's not worry about this. I'll deal with it later. I'll order one on Amazon. This blower is so old, they don't make replacement parts for it anymore. So you got a new blower? I No, I did not get a new blower. <laughs> I, I don't, you know. Wait a minute. This amazing mower that you got doesn't have a blower attachment to it? It does, and I do have it. Okay. So I will be using that. I was going to say, then why are you using this other thing? Because Donna doesn't want to hook up the blower. She'd rather use the walk-around one. But that's either neither here nor there. And then he's also helping my daughter with the fuses on her car because the uh, lighter doesn't work, so she can't charge her phone. So she can't smoke. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, (laughs) so... So they're in the hood of the car in the fuse box. And I'm like, what are you guys doing? And they're like, she's like, well, he's helping me find the blown fuse. And I said, okay. 
And I said, maybe if we were in the right fuse box, we could fly, find the correct one. And my uncle goes, what? And my uncle's a brilliant man. And I'm like, this is for the interior of the car. You're in the engine. It's not with the engine. And he goes, well, Rebecca said that here's the fuse box. And I go, yeah, there's two. Well, we get Rebecca a new fuse. Now tell me, Marty. Yes. Is this a bad sign? So I buy Rebecca a new fuse for the one that's blown. And she's putting it in. And I hear this, that spark sound, you know, that you hear right before when metal just makes touch of metal. Like when it arcs. It arcs. Yeah. Yes. And it blew the fuse before it was even placed in. I would say that's not good. That's not good. And I go, Rebecca, that's not good. We don't. She goes, well, do we try again? I go, no, we don't try again. We've got a short somewhere in the car. Another thing to work on, get back into the dashboard of the car. It's always something. This is why we don't get to play games. We're dealing with lawnmowers and car repairs and leaf blower repairs. And helping my wife with her new her new birthday gift. I got her a oofy rumba type vacuum. You know what I'm talking about? One yeah, of those we auto. got one. You do? Which kind did you get? I don't know. The Roomba, whatever it is. She wanted the oofy. It's remote control from your phone or it'll go do its own thing. Those things are amazing. Yeah, we just have it in our bedroom. Just runs every so often. It's not mapping anything. It's just randomly doing stuff, but it works and it amazes me. It's mapping. Mine's not mapping. It should be. Doesn't it go back to the base when it's done? It knows where the base is, but yeah. but it's not going in a certain set. It's just randomly going throughout the room for an hour. It is, but it's mapping it as it's doing it. Otherwise, it do the same. Possibly do the same thing over and over again. And it does. I didn't get a high dollar one. I got one that's just running randomly around, but it amazingly picks stuff up. <laughs> All right. Enough, enough of that. It's for enough six of that. years. So, uh, enough of that. Yeah, because I actually got a story of a brand new vacuum cleaner that we got. But we'll save that for 2019. There you go. We What we need to do is, first off, <laughs> well, let me tell six you what. Years. Six years ago, we weren't entertaining people with this kind of stuff. We were actually trying to be like intelligent and talk about games and give provoking thoughts and reviews on games. And we've said about you know two years into this show, that ain't us. Shoot. I mean, we can talk about a game in five minutes, but we can talk about lawnmowers for 30 minutes. <laughs> we can spend, if, if we just talked about games only, the show would go back to being 30 minutes long. I know. Goodness. So first off, six years, amazing six years with you, dude. And I want to send out big thanks to our sponsors, Broken Token, Portal Games, and Miniature Market for putting up with this crap. And we really do. And they have a special treat for those of our listening audience. We'll talk about later. Get ready for that. You got to hang around. If you hung around this long, you'll hear about it um, somewhere in the show, probably in the middle-ish. But if you don't mind, Marty, I think it's time. Why don't we kick it over to a... I don't know. Let's do a review. The miniature market.com or okay. It's not the miniature market.com. No, it's, it's not. Market. Don't confuse people. Don't, don't be going to the miniature market.com. You don't know what you'll be going to. Well, hold don't on. Go what there. happens if I go to the miniature market.com? I don't know. But while you go do that, I'm just going to say that miniature market.com, this episode is releasing right before Christmas. If you haven't done that final holiday shopping, get over there, take a look and see what they have. Stuff is showing up constantly on their website. And if you haven't looked at Rob Oren's video where he announces what they're getting ready to sell, he does 15 days of that. 
highly recommend you go over there and check those out so you know how to plan your spending. Matter of fact, I know that I've been out there and he says something like the Arcadia Quest Pets expansion or the Writer's expansion is coming on sale. Oh, that's going to hit the old pocketbook if I'm not careful. Maybe I'll sleep through it and forget about it. But I have the email that comes to me every day that tells me what the daily specials are. So be sure to go over to miniaturemarket.com because if you go over to theminiaturemarket.com, you'll get what? Somebody's squatting on it. So somebody's bought it, but nobody's doing anything with it. There you go. Miniaturemarket.com. At one of the first BGG cons I went to a little over three years ago, I had the chance to sit down and do a demo of a prototype from our good friend, Eric Lang, and a game that he was working on with Antoine Bowser called Victorian Masterminds. The idea behind this game is that you're a villain in Victorian England and you're trying to, to build this contraption in order to take over London and take over buildings and you're doing missions and everything. I sat down and I played this really unique kind of a worker placement game with a worker placement resolution that I thought was really, really neat. I was really enjoying myself and thought I was doing well till I got to the end of that game with Eric Lang and found out I only scored like in the single digits. And Eric Lang said, Marty, nobody has ever, ever scored that low in this game before. Now, Tony, that was three years ago. This this game was early. Early. I saw Eric over the summer at, I believe it was at Gen Con. And when he was, when he's talking about Victorian Masterminds finally coming out. Remember we went to the special CMON event who publishes this game mm. and they had it out there. I went, oh, Eric, finally Victorian Masterminds is coming out after all these years. Looks great. Can't wait to play it. And he said, oh, by the way, nobody has still ever scored lower than what you did that one time. You are the worst player of this game that I have ever seen. So I got that going for me, Tony. Yeah, but you had retribution because you did incredibly well on this past play that you did with us. You won. Yes, I did. I actually won. And then I messaged Eric and I said, dude, I just played Victoria Masterminds and I won. His response back was, lies. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> that was pretty much it. And I went... Okay, never mind then. Well, you called this a worker placement game. What immediately caught my eye about this game, Marty, was the fact that it had a mechanic in it that you and I both really enjoyed back from our StarCraft. Oh, yeah. But it's flipped. Yes. We'll go into a little bit more of the details about the various characters, but the whole premise of this game is that you are placing your henchmen out on a board and you're placing them in certain You're placing certain agents. Agents. Yeah, because one of them is actually called a henchman. So these are agents that you're placing out in different cities on the board. Sure. I'm going to call them whatever I remember them to be. So they're agents. They're, they're henchmen. No, they're not henchmen. They're agents. But they're going to various locales, various cities across the world. And you're placing them in that location face down. So the other villains cannot see who you are deploying out there. And when you get three agents, not you, but when, when there are three agents, agent stacked in a city, it flips over. And it's not the top one that goes first. It's the one on the bottom. Mm -hmm. And that mechanism right there, that is what I, I was like, okay, at first I was like, how's this going to play out? But man, when we started rolling on this game, 
I was like, I'm digging this. I am digging how this game resolves the agents and how you resolve what they can do. Now, Marty, is there five or six types of agents? I, it's all a blur to me right now. You mean all those times that we played and it's a blur to you? You're pathetic. I am. I, my memory is short and it's a good thing, but I know there are I five different agents. Let me see if I can remember. There is the, I call him the engineer. Yes, there is one called the engineer. You, you should call him that. I know because he has little wrenches on his disc Mm -hmm. and he basically will fire off the engine that's before you on your machine that you're trying to build. Now there's a whole bunch of different machines in there and they all have different special actions that can be done. Marty was playing the Albatross. And the whole goal is you're trying to build these engines, right? You got these engine parts that you're trying to put together and that's why you actually place your uh, agents out on the board, you're trying to collect pieces. You're trying to collect bolts and sheet metal because each little piece of the engine requires a certain number of bolts or sheet metal. And once you uh, collect those, you actually get to put that piece on your board and it's going to give you some little special ability. That's what you're doing. You're building the engine and the engineer can activate various ones. And depending on where those, if you've built the right one, he gets another action or bonus that he'll be able to get to do. He has a base and then he has two special. But that's part of the game, I think, Marty, is how do you want to build, where do you want to build your machine first? Because there are other aspects of the game that you have to have in play built on your machine before they come into impact. For instance, to gain the knowledge or to gain the books, which have victory points on them, If you go and collect that in the various cities where you go and gain knowledge, it's only worth one point. But if you build that portion up on the other side or you get that part of your engine built, it's worth two. So you're sitting there trying to figure out where do I want to concentrate building my machine? There's five cities on the board and no matter where you get, no matter what agent you put down on each of these cities, you're going to get something. And it's yep. just, it's just that the, the particular agent that we'll go over in a second, whatever type that is may give you something else. For example, you need a copper plate. You're going to go to London. You place an agent there. You're going to eventually get a copper plate at Washington gives you a bolt. The uh, Moscow gives you firepower, which we'll talk about in a second. Paris gives you a scientist, which we'll talk about in a second. And you mentioned the Da Vinci Codexes, which you uh, achieve from Rome. And those are basically just straight victory points that you put on the board. But like you said, if you get enough copper and bolts to build the one piece on your engine that will make each future book you collect worth two points instead of one, that's just part of this little game, this little puzzle that you're putting together. And what's that quote from the last episode that you said? I like this. A good game is a good puzzle. And I think this is a nice little puzzle because you're trying to decide where do I need, like you said, where do I go first? I'm getting all these parts. What part should I build first on my engine to activate something that ne- means the next time I go do this, it will give me a bonus of this, and it just builds on top of each other. And in each city, there's also all these bonus cards you can collect, which is another thing that a agent can do for you. And if you meet those requirements on those bonus cards, then you can collect those. And I don't know if you've picked up on this, people, because we haven't said it. It's the way you win is victory points. But it's very important to gather up those victory points because at the end, they're not victory points. They're mayhem points. Big they're difference. mayhem points. Big okay, difference. Fine. Agents, henchmen, mayhem, victory point. You're right. I need to get it with the theme of it. All I know is I was placing disc on the board in cities, trying to collect stuff so that I could build my engine, so I could fire off other things. And oh, there was such timing involved because 
I think, Marty, when we were playing, that was one of the most frustrating things. I needed a stack to flip over because I had an agent there. I had that one place there, and I needed y'all to go around. But you weren't going there. Yep. You weren't doing it because you were scared of another type of agent. So let's go. Let's go over each of the type of the agents because you're just you're just all over the place with this. So let's just explain the different. Because I'm ones excited about there. it. Now, at the beginning of the game, you're going to shuffle your agents and make a stack of them. So when you draw one, you don't know which one you're getting. You get to see what it is, but you can't really plan out your turn. You just kind of got it, got to go with what's on top. Time and, out, time out, time out. Time know, out. I'm going to come back to that. I know what you're coming to. Okay. <laughs> okay, I'll go ahead and say it here. Unless you get five codexes on the board, then you can look through your stack. Was that what you was going to say? No, that's not what I was going to oh, say. Oh, but I just said it anyway. Unless Marty's explaining the rules to you. Shut up. No, no, you uh, misunderstood. Go ahead. What did you think I said? It wasn't just me. It was... Me and two other players were sitting there. Marty's explaining the rules, and he's sitting there going, and you shuffle your henchmen, and then you place them on the board. I think all three of us blocked out. You shuffle your henchmen, look at them, see what you got to determine where you want to place them. We're thinking, wait, we're just placing them out blindly? That makes no sense. And what was so funny is at the beginning of that first game, y'all were like, this game sucks. They said, how do you plan for anything? I said, what are you talking about? I said, you put in the agent down where you want to go. And they said, but we don't know which one it is. I'm like, what do you mean you don't know? You look at it and you put it down. And, and all three of y'all went, you didn't tell us that you looked at it. And I went, oh, my bad. Major issue there, <laughs> but that's okay. It got, but, it got a lot better after first that. First game's a learning game, right? That's that's what we say. Yes. Okay. So can I go over the different agents now? So we've done the engineer. We, we You're talking about who? Who are you talking about? I haven't even started. Well, hurry up. I'm waiting. Oh, jeez. Number two, really straightforward. This agent collects the city spoils twice. So if you go to the place that gives you a bolt, you get two bolts. You go to the place that gives you sheet metal, you get two sheet metals. That one's really straightforward. The henchman we talked about, each of the cities on the board has a, a mission card. And uh, when you reveal uh, your agent, you automatically collect the spoils of that city, then activate the agent. So if the agent is a henchman, you look on the mission card. And if you fulfill that mission, you get that card, which is typically worth points. That mission could be like, if you get a particular type of building, then you get points. Or if you have certain types of parts built in your engine, you get points. There's a bunch of different mission cards that are out there. There's the, I'm going to come back to the, my favorite one last. Mm -hmm. There's the, the gunner talked about getting buildings. Gunners are how you get you take possession of buildings. Each of the city has a certain set of buildings in each one. And when you flip over the gunner, if your current firepower is higher than or equal to the sequel cir cir secret circus level. Wow, circus. Let's try this again. Secret service level tracker that's on the board, you can just claim a building. Mm -hmm. And claiming a building, well, they're each building has a certain spoil, but also at the end of the game, buildings are worth mayhem points or, or victory points. Every time you claim a building, the Secret Service goes, wait a minute, something weird just happened and their security level goes up. So it's constantly going up as people claim buildings. And remember the one city where I talked about firepower? That you go to that particular city in order to boost your firepower. Or Tony, there's actually parts on the machine where if you build it, it will automatically increase your firepower. Again, one of those things, it's like, 
if you want to collect buildings, then you got to work on making sure your firepower is high enough to be able to claim those buildings. There's just multiple ways to score points in this game. You mentioned the engineer, which is basically cranks up your engine and there's a special ability that you can do. And every engine is totally different. Everybody has a special ability uh, that they, that will be just explained on the board. Now the most fun agent of all, is the saboteur. Yes, it is. And the saboteur is, remember, you're going to take a stack of three tokens and you're going to flip them over and resolve basically from the bottom down or first in, first out. If there is a saboteur played, the agent that that is beneath it, its special ability is removed. They still get the spoil of the city, but they don't get to do their special ability. And that was the mean, take that element of this game that was a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. And, and it, I don't know if it was so much mean. It was just, if people knew you had placed a saboteur on a city location, then they weren't going to place their person there, and they could just sit on the board forever. Right, right. Now, when you when you resolve your agents, they go into a discard pile. So everybody can see who's been played so far. So if you know that the saboteur hadn't been played, that it potentially could be on the board or it's coming soon. Or if you're like me and you forget where you put them and you place your own there. Well, no, no, no. You forgot the important rule. Your saboteur never sabotages your own agent. Oh, uh, we played that wrong. Well, if you listen to me when I explained the rules. I was still busy trying to figure out where I was going to place people I didn't know what they could do. <laughs> That's a fair point. But yeah, you can't saboteur your own self. Regardless, I, I see where you're going though. But there were certain times in the game where we could see people's discard pile and realize, oh, well, they've only got one agent left to place. We know exactly what it is. And you're right. Everybody avoided that place like the plague. Mm-hmm. You wanted the saboteur to be placed first or second so it activated. If, if you place the saboteur third, which activated the stack, well, obviously the saboteur is not on top of anything when you flip it over. Right. It doesn't hurt anybody. And so you're like, oh, that's no big deal. Now, one thing we did not talk about, and that was the little miniature bust of the, was it the inventors? Ah, it's the scientists. Yes. Scientists. One of the cities will give you scientists that you collect on your board. And your scientists are basically, oh, I can refer to this. Remember we talked about Newton when you collected potions and they mm-hmm. gave you special actions that you could use during your turn? That's exactly what scientists do here. On your turn, you can take one special action spending scientist. Uh, for example, uh, you can uh, use one scientist to, instead of playing the top of your agent pile, you may take a face-up agent from your discard pile. So in that case, I'm going to say, hey, I really want to use this two times again. You can take it and use it by spending one scientist. You can spend two scientists to immediately play a second agent after you play one. So play an agent, spend two scientists, place another agent. And the for three scientists, if you spend those, then you can just claim a building of your choice anywhere and still increase the secret service level by one. So the scientists were there to kind of give you little bonus actions. And the most you could have when you started out the game, you can only have two. Oh, but guess what? There's an engine part that you could put on your machine that will unlock additional scientists on your board and you can get up to four. Very important, very strategic on when to play these. Actually, you could technically chain something if needed. When I say chain, I don't mean like boom, 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 boom. It was like, I'm going to place one here and it will release something on my board and then my board will allow me to do something, which then if I 
had placed a second scientist, which was very important for me, timing, then I could collect more of, of the inventor scientists. Yes. So, so there is that chaining um, mechanism. Yeah. And in fact, that's what I was talking about, the planning. You'd mentioned having to do a lot of planning and looking ahead. You're exactly right. Let's, let's say, for example, that you want to be able to claim a building, but your firepower is not high enough. So you put an agent out there in order to either build up your firepower or put a piece on the board that increases your firepower that would then allow you to go to this other place and use a gunner in order to claim a building. And the reason why you want to do that is just because you happen to have a henchman at another city that says, hey, if you got this particular uh, building, you claim this uh, mission card and get victory points. So I think that's the kind of chain that you're talking about. If I do this, I can do this, I can do this, I can do this and generate tons of points. Uh, yeah, completely. Now for me, this game is on my shelf. I'm going to jump right to it. I really enjoyed playing this game. It's fast. It's a fast game. There was some AP in this game for me, not yep. a lot, but Overall, I mean, we were putting down some chips going boom, 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 resolve, boom, 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 resolve. And that's one thing I like about games that don't have rounds. Basically, you just keep going uh, over and over again. Play only stops when somebody places a third agent on a stack and you resolve that stack and just play just continues. So there's never this, okay, at the end of the round, resolve this, do this. It just keeps going until somebody has either completed uh, their uh, machine or the secret service level gets all the way to the top which is 12. Either one of those will trigger the end of the game. And then you're going to get victory points uh, based on the buildings that you've received. Uh, there's mayhem points that you can collect uh, during the game, which are two points apiece. There are the mission cards that give you points and the books that give you points. Add all those up and uh, most points wins. Now, Tony, in typical Simon fashion, the components are amazing in this thing, but I don't know that they really needed to be. I agree with you. I mean, yes, it's beautiful presentation of the various cities to see the Coliseum or to see Big Ben. I mean, but did it need to be? Uh, maybe if you want to paint them. I don't know. I don't know. <clears throat> it's one of those things. I don't know the, the final cost of this game. I don't know what the MSRP is going to be. This game comes out early uh, next year. And C-Mon was kind enough, enough to send us an early copy of this because, uh, again, I played this three years ago. So I was really anxious to see how this worked. This components again, see my quality, super nice. The agent tokens I love. They're gears. They're mm -hmm. really heavy. They're like poker chip, like weight, but they're gear shaped. I like those. The buildings are super nice. I don't know that really added a lot because really the only thing you do with those, you claim them and then they're just worth points at the end. You just kind of put them off to the side um, after you claim them. I mean, that was their choice. I mean, I could see like where they, um, what was it? Um, oh shoot. The, the, the zombie one, the, black the zombie one. one. That's good. Yeah, the Black Plague one. Yeah. Oh, God. Where, you know, they had the board, inlay boards, where you could put the, the tokens throughout to level up your characters. I could see where maybe, you know. That's nice. Yep. Where if the engine that you're building or the, the ship you're building was something like that, but that would make that box incredibly heavy. So we don't know what the heck we're talking about. They know what they're doing. They're going to make nice cities, and we're just going to enjoy the quality. Now, this game, I would say, I don't know, on difficulty, it's probably a light light to medium, mm -hmm. light Euro. I know that is very subjective because what we may think is light to medium, somebody may also think is super light. It, the, the, it's really easy to teach. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, oh, Mr. Newton. At least mine was actually a little bit harder to teach than putting people out on a board. Mine, you got to move various people throughout the map. All yours was, well, look at your guy, place him on the board where you want to collect your spoils. 
Like, that's tough. Like, you couldn't even get that one right. Yeah, shuffle them up and put them out where you can't see them. I don't want to hear that crap about my Newton teaching. I made up rules. I didn't make up rules. You just didn't understand. You're the one that made up rules. I just assume that you draw five of the six cards. It's, a, it's an easy rule to assume. No, it's not. You don't ever assume a rule. Oh, well, oh, oh hold on, hold on. Oh, I, hold on here. Okay. Yeah, okay. Go on. Speaking of assumptions, there was some nitpicky things that we have with, again, with the rule book, the mission cards. You, some of them you could really decipher what they were. So they used symbologies and icons to, to kind of indicate what the mission card requirements were. But Tony, some of them, we were like scratching our head because two of us interpreted it one way, two of us interpreted it the other, and nowhere in the rule book does it explain each of the mission cards, nor does it explain examples of the mission cards. Normal games, when you would see this on a card where you would see symbols and they are divided by the divided sign or a slash, yes, you would say that's an or symbol. Correct. Based on, based on our experience in games. And we would read that if you have any one of these symbols built on your machine, it was worth three victory points. But then they had times five. So then we were thinking, well, then is it five of any of those? Is it five of one of those? And it was only worth like four points. It wasn't worth a lot. Right. And we were like, so are you multiplying the victory points? I'm sorry, the mayhem points? What does this times five mean here? And where you placed it? It was, yes, uh, the... That was, it's a nit, but it's an important one because it's getting the mayhem. And But there's been some, some amazing Simon books. You remember in uh, Lorenzo El Manifico, they mm-hmm. break down every single card in that game. Yes. And they explain exactly what it does. So I was going through, I, I'm sitting there thinking, I must be missing a book in the box that explains each of the mission cards or even the uh, contraptions themselves. So each of the contraptions have special abilities and even there, we were we kind of had to read it a couple times and kind of had to decipher it ourselves and we think we got it right but there was nothing that went over each of the machines and their special abilities now of course this isn't out so we couldn't rely on our brothers over at BGG to explain it or or straighten it out for us but once again you know that's one of those things did it hamper our enjoyment of the game it did not for me we just assumed well, no, on one of the cards, we just threw it out. We said, since we can't for sure say what this is, and we have two people fighting against other two people, what it means, we just threw it out and picked another mission card. Yeah, we should have flipped a coin. Just saying. Flipped a coin and said, this is how we're going to do it. Well, we did it the more correct way and drew another mission card, and we went, ah, okay, we all know what this one means. But anyway, so I was just surprised that, that the the rules weren't, you know, for each of the special things in there weren't, weren't listed. And also... Uh, Eric, after he had told me lies, he said, by the way, I'm not sure what version of the game that you got, but they had to change something in one of the machines. One of the machines powers weren't correct. So I haven't gone back and checked to see whether we had the incorrect one or not, because they have multiple machines. We just didn't have to be playing that one, one machine he was referring to. But all in all, aside from those little things, I, like I said, really enjoyed this game. I would play this. I love the speed of this game. I love the complexity of the game and the strategy. It is one of those games that I'm going to say, okay, yeah, let's get this back out on the table. I agree. I enjoyed it the first time I played it. And Tony, like you, I'm looking for that one little mechanic that stands out. And and like you, who just referred to, you know, um, Starcraft and Forbidden Stars, the stacking of worker tokens or, or things and, and resolving that stack is what I like. The difference is in Starcraft and Forbidden Stars, you resolve from the top down. Here you resolve from the bottom up. It's that nice little mechanic of where it's like, well, I got to put a worker here, but it's not going to activate until there's three things on that stack. 
and then I could take advantage of it. And you just hope and pray that somebody didn't mess you up. I didn't even mention where another way somebody could mess you up is let's say that you put out the henchman, which it completes a mission card. And let's say you put it on top of the stack and you flip it over. If there's another henchman in the first or second slot, they could take the mission card from you and you get nothing because the mission card isn't resolved until you're finished resolving the stack. Well, you better plan better than that. That's what I'm saying is that if there's something you really want, you realize you look at their board and realize crap, they could fulfill that mission. And if I put my henchman on top of his, I'm totally wasting a henchman if it's a henchman. So there's mm-hmm. that tension of like, let's hurry up and resolve that stack because I want to know what that other, you know, that other agent is to see if he's going to screw me up or not. Or the saboteur is like, please don't be the saboteur. Oh, it's the saboteur. But at least you got spoils. Yes. You always get something. You just might not be able to activate the agent. Right. So if you're interested in and you think, hmm, this is something we need to try, we definitely recommend that you go out and do it. Uh, hopefully um, you will see it in your stores in the first quarter of 2019. Yep. And if you happen to be in the Charlotte area and see us at Carolina Tabletops, stop by Marty and I. And if we're not stuck in the middle of trying to play Tony game where we're still deciphering rules, we'll be happy to break it out for you. That's Victorian masterminds. Wow. Minds. That was really hickish. That's, (laughs) that's Victorian masterminds. From Simon Games and designers Antoine Bauza and Eric Lang. Even though it's the end of the year, Portal Games is still putting out some incredible games. They've got Monolith Arena that just came out. It was a hot game at BGG Con, and it was just recently announced that the new expansion for Detective LA Crime has now gone to print. So now we just have to wait for that early next year to come out so we can go back to the 80s and solve some crimes. They've had an incredible year with so many games. Detective was a huge hit. You've got the expansion Amazons coming out now for Imperial Settlers, which Tony and I still can't wait to sit down and try. And they've already been teasing some games that are going to be coming out next year. And with PortalCon just around the corner, we'll have some more big announcements then. So make sure to go over to portalgames.pl slash en, check out all their news, and check out their YouTube page where they release informants each week looking at a behind-the-scenes look at the office and some upcoming announcements. And maybe on our seventh anniversary, we'll be talking about Stronghold, the new release for that. Maybe. If you've been listening to our show for the past few years, you'll know that I've really been getting into games, workshop games. And typically when I talk about a games workshop game, I like to bring on a resident expert, one that knows the lore and a lot of the characters and the background, because I think that's really needed when you talk about a GW game. In the past, I've had Travis, my middle son, on to talk about games, workshop games, but I'm excited today to have my oldest son, Adam, on the show. How's it going? (laughs) I wow. I didn't know like how's what it going. You, <laughs> I, I I was like, hey, great to be here. There Marty. you go. Thank you. Okay, that's that's much better. The game we're going to talk about today is a game called Blackstone Fortress. Now, before people hit the skip button or skip to the next section, just hold on just a second. This is not your typical games workshop game. No. Adam, typically when people hear games workshop, they immediately think the Warhammer 40k miniatures game, which is the sci-fi game. Right. And the Age of Sigmar fantasy miniatures game, both of them, a lot of minis on the table, a lot of fighting, a lot of painting, a typical warfare combat miniatures game, but 
This is nothing like that, this game. No, I think the important thing to note is the fact that the game is uh, called Warhammer Quest, yes. colon Blackstone Fortress. Um, it's based off a game in the 90s called Warhammer Quest. That was more with a sci- or a fantasy bent. And the more recent one, the Silver Tower that came yeah, out, which exactly. has the fantasy bent. Right. So historically, Warhammer Quest has been more of a fantasy kind of game. But this one is 40K. It's based in the 40K universe. It's called Blackstone Fortress, which references a thing in the 40K universe all around the galaxy. There are these Blackstone Fortresses that are older than time itself. Even the oldest races in the galaxy don't know where they came from. They're full of ancient alien, lots of Lovecraftian stuff happening in there. Pretty cool. But uh, they're super valuable for factions and governments to hold because inside of them, they hold lots of valuable treasure. So at the end of the day, even though it's 40K, even though it's in space, even though it's in the galaxy and there's, you know, aliens and spaceships, it's a dungeon crawler. At its core, it's you're going into a dungeon to try and find loot and then coming out and then like buying new stuff and seeing what what you got and then going deeper into the dungeon. Mm -hmm. And because of that, it's it's a co-op game. Oh, yeah. uh, like the previous Warhammer Quest, this is mainly a co-op game. This game plays anywhere from one to five players. If you have a fifth player, the fifth player plays as the AI, the hostile player. Mm-hmm. But if you play with less than that, they're, uh, this built into the game to play itself. And there's mechanics yeah. for controlling the monsters and the aliens that you'll see along the way. But like you said, at its core, this is just a co-op dungeon crawler. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It has a 40K skin on it, and it comes with a big thick booklet to read all about the background and where the characters came from. There's all sorts of lore uh, behind it, which you can read into. Um, I don't have an hour, so I, I don't think I can get that much into it. <laughs> Despite the 40K skin, it's still very much just a co-op dungeon crawler game. But it does also have those 40K flavors of there's guns and there's flamethrowers and there's aliens. that And it's it gets kind of wild with its enemy choices and the hero choices also because they're hardly relegated to typical ranger fighter magic user classes at all and in fact they're not you said relegated not regulated relegated Mm. uh to uh all the factions being the same you've actually got this hodgepodge of races of characters thrown together which you typically don't see in the 40k universe all right i could talk about this for a while (laughs) we don't have that long this this is why to get on a slight bit of a tangent why we call those squirrels here yeah 40k has dug itself into kind of a hole where it'll never be able to have a true to life RPG tabletop role playing game because in the lore they've constructed this universe that's so dark and brutal. It's like, honestly, if you were true to the lore, most people would rather die than work with another <laughs> member of another race. Um, so this is like the first time that you've got Eldar and humans and robots and all these people working together. And it's kind of strange because they've spent so long creating this universe where it's like, I'll, I'll, I'll shoot myself in the head before I work with an Eldar. And, and it's <laughs> right. like, you know, it's because fantasy, you know, part of the charm is orcs and humans and everyone. And even in Age of Sigmar. And halflings like, and elves all working together yeah, typically. And the, fantasy, and the 40K universe is like, oh, it's, no, it's none of that. None of that at all. And even in like the fantasy counterpart, Age of Sigmar, the lore has plenty of instances of dwarves and elves and humans and even orcs like working together at many points. But 40K, not so much. So I was actually kind of impressed to see Blackstone Fortress have characters of different races working together because isn't that what the far future is all about? Joining together in harmony. Typically in sci-fi stories it is not in this one not 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 in the 40k all right so the game is a big box game this game uh retails for 
$150. That sounds like a lot. That That is a lot. But a lot comes in this no, the, box. It sounds like a lot, but the reality is Travis and I were going through the miniatures and everything, and it's an incredible value for what's in the box. Well, let's, before people again, stop and say, uh-uh, miniatures, that sounds like something I got to put together and deal with and paint. These are push-to-fit miniatures. And I must say, Adam, Games Workshop, I think has almost perfected a push-to-fit miniature that still maintains tons of detail. I didn't even have to open the glue. And I usually can't relate to this because I, I greatly enjoy putting together and painting models. So if a, if a game comes with unpainted, unassembled miniatures, I'm like, yes. <laughs> but these are definitely like anyone could take them out and put them together. Mm-hmm. All you need is a pair of clippers to get them off the sprues. And after that, it's just following directions and that's it. And if you want to paint them, they're there to paint. I For mean, sure. there's a lot For of sure. miniature games out there. Seamon and stuff has a lot of games that people play with the miniatures, but never have to paint them or yeah, feel like absolutely. painting them. They don't have to here. And the hero characters are a different color. Yeah, so they're easy so. to follow. But the detail uh, is amazing. It's your typical Games Workshop. Mm-hmm. Just because they're easy together doesn't mean they scrimped on detail because they're beautiful. Games Workshop has really started to pop off on their sculpting with these last few unique models because man there are some good ones in here now the game also comes with tons of hexed based tile maps Mm. that are used during the game to create these different dungeons that you're going to be uh, going through and and uh, looking for treasures and fighting aliens and so all the miniatures consist of aliens and factions you'll be fighting against plus your heroes and like we said earlier on at its core This is a dungeon crawler. So each person will pick a hero to play. There will always be four heroes. So regardless of the number of players, you always got four heroes on the board. If you're playing solo, you're going to control four. If you're playing, you know, with with two players like we did today, each of us crawls control two apiece. Or we got to play earlier with uh, Travis and Vanessa's brother, and we had four people each playing one character each. And the game is set up to where you're going to have these encounters. You set up this uh, encounter deck at the beginning. There's challenges and there's combat. And you shuffle all the challenges together, uh, deal out four. Shuffle all the combat maps together, deal out four. Put those together for a deck of eight. And then each turn, you're going to flip over and resolve it. Challenges are really short little things that you do. It may be tests uh, that each of you have to decide if you're going to take or walk through and you get some sort of benefit. And I think those are super clever. If we had known what they were when we first opened up and put the game together. (laughs) When we hit our first challenge, we were kind of confused because we thought... It was going to be longer than what it was. It's really something you almost resolve in in just several minutes and then you move on to the next thing. And we thought it was going to kind of be this big epic thing that we kind of had to work our way through. And part of the issues that we had was, and we'll get this in a second, was the rules were kind of hard to follow early on. Yeah, and that's the largest and really only major gripe I have about the game is that the rule book, as it comes packaged, is super muddy and vague. You didn't pluralize that. Rule books. Because oh, yeah, it comes with bad. three. There is a rules that says right off the front, read this first. So I thought this was kind of the setup and overview of the entire game, but that's not the case. It kind of gets you set up and it says, oh, when you do a combat, you go to the combat book. When it says at the bottom, read this when a combat occurs. And so then you go through that and resolve that. At the end of an expedition, which is what this is called, those eight encounter cards create an expedition. When you're done, you go back to the precipices. What you, that's where you start your uh, expedition, and that's where you end it. And then when you do that, you got another rule book that says uh, when you return to the precipice, this is the rule book that you resolve there. So as we're playing the game, we're constantly flipping back and forth between these rule books 
And that's what kind of lost us early on. I find myself scratching my head over why they chose, because you mentioned those three rule books, and then also all the background and lore is in a separate fourth rule book, right. or lore book. So it, it's kind of strange. The Precipice book, I guess I can understand, because it's a totally different set of rules, but also they, they could have just been one book. Mm -hmm. And looking at them now, maybe you could even hole punch them and put them in a binder and just yeah. have a single rule book for all of them. And it's one of the things that uh, that we ran into, and, and I know we're kind of hitting this before really getting into into the game, but like during the combat, it'll say, you know, if I'm going to do a vitality check, which is something where you do where you want to heal yourself, it says in here, it will reference page 14 of the rules. Well, I got to put down this rule book, pick up another rule book and flip over to it. And you go, people going, Marty, just stop your whining. It's not that big of a deal. It's just one of those things I'm used to kind of one rule book, especially yeah. from Games Workshop. They kind of throw everything in a big one. You may have this overview, quick start rule set, and then you have the main rules all together, one binder. And I was kind of, I kind of wish, I don't mind these three books. I wish there was one hardback book or one thick book that had them all together. Yeah, kind of like the Kill Team rule book. Yes. Yeah. Now that I got that out of the way, that was kind of like our, our biggest gripe. But let's yeah. jump into to how the game works. And I think this is really cool. This is a game that's going to uh, consist of working together to try to work through uh, mainly a combat area. We talked about the challenges. Those are the little things. The main heft of the game is the combat. You flip over an encounter garden. If it's a combat card, it has a map. You put the map together. It has these discovery markers that are set up on the board where the aliens will spawn, but it's also places that you can go to grab loot. So at the beginning of the game, uh, you, let's say the map has three discovery points. And what you're going to do is you have uh, these this alien deck. You're going to flip over the top three types of aliens. It could be any one of several different types of aliens. And we'll talk about how that modifies over the course of the game because I think that's really cool too. You flip one over and it says, okay, you're assigned point A. And on the card it says, if this one's assigned uh, point A, then put three of these here. Flip over the next one. Okay, you're point B. Put two of these things here. Flip over another one says, put one of these things here. So you could have a bunch of different aliens out on the board uh, that you're trying to fight over the course of the game. Once you're set up, basically you've taken a maglev from the precipice down to this, this unknown area. Again, if it's like a, it's like a video game, mm. it's like you got your central area hey, and then you walk into a brand new dungeon. I, I, I said when we started playing it, it was like the Metroid elevator song playing in my head. Because that's exactly what it felt like when you, <laughs> you get right. onto the elevator and you go down and you just go deeper and deeper. Right. That's exactly what it's like. So then the map opens up to you and then you get off and you're basically get, trying to get to the end of the map and try to find another maglev to get out. Mm. So there's these different points on the map that you can go to that you can try to summon the maglev so that you can get off the level. But along the way, you're going to be doing some fighting. And I really like the way that the encounters uh, occur. So at the beginning of the round, everybody's going to have, they're going to roll their dice that they can use to assign to actions over the course of a turn. You're either going to have three or four dice. Most characters have four dice, four D6s that you roll, and that's what you can spend during your turn to take actions. Uh, likewise, another mechanical like to is destiny dice it's these black dice that are can use be used by the entire party you roll those five d6s you remove any matches only unique ones are left and that is a pool of dice that people can share throughout their encounter i like that mechanic because it's at the same time makes things quote easier but also it adds another wrinkle of strategy to it. So mm -hmm. you may have an extra six up there, which is like, great, well, I need that to do such and such, but also so does this other person. So who takes it, where, what situation should we use it? 
having a shared resource, I think is really cool. And it ups the co-op value of the game too. 100% agree. And that's what I really like about it. And even though it's annoying that removing the duplicates, what's cool is you can't always assume you're going to have five extra dice per turn. You always have, well, no, you didn't necessarily all have one. If you have, <laughs> you can match all five dice and all of them are, and gone, of them are and, gone and you got nothing. Yep. But I really like that mechanic. It does, it is, does create a co-op experience, even more of a co-op experience. Another thing I like too is the initiative. So everybody has a little initiative card that is for their particular character. Plus you throw in the initiative cards for each of the aliens that are out there. You shuffle them up at the beginning of the round, you place those out and that's the order that they're going to go. So you never know who's going to go first until you deal out those initiative cards. Now at the beginning, if you and somebody else is beside each other, on the initiative track and you can see each other, you can swap spots, but you can also have this thing called a gambit. Let's say that there's going to be an alien that's going to activate right before you. And it's like, man, I really wish I was going before him. You can spend the dice and uh, take a chance that you can succeed in, in a role and move ahead of them. Again, it's a little, it's a push your luck thing, but it does, it's, it's, it's a gambit. I need to go before they do. So you can take a shot and do it. Yeah. And there's a lot of risk management in this game as a whole, because you've got four dice in front of you and you've got another three to five there in the destiny pool. And that's all you got. Those are your actions. And some of your actions, you need a higher value and some of them you can do at a lower value. So there's a lot of deciding what's worth it to do in this point, what's not worth it to do. It's it's at its core, a game about risk management and dice rolling and understanding what your odds are at any given point. And we can talk about what each of the actions are. So each of these actions requires spending a dice. You spend a die of, of a one plus, you get to move a uh, number of hexes up to the explorer's move value. So everybody has a character card, you move that amount. Recuperate. If you take any damage, you can spend a one plus die to make a vitality roll. Uh, this is where we uh, talk about the different type of dice that you have. You have D8s, uh, D12s, and D6s that are used uh, during the game. And uh, your vitality roll is going to be based on one of those types. And you're going to roll it. And there's little success indicators and failures and crits on each of those dice. Yeah, can I just give a shout out for a minute? Because I feel like when we design games now, we kind of make it arbitrarily complicated or mm -hmm. just un not not user friendly, I guess is what I should say. And it's not like the fault of the game designer because it's like dice are white. So you use white dice, but they've made all the D8s purple and all the D12s blue and all the D6s gray. So when you're playing the game, you're not like, oh, I need a, I need one D6 and two D8s. You can just be like, I need a gray and two purple. That makes things so much easier when right. you're visualizing attacks and you're thinking about what you need to do. That doesn't contribute anything to the actual gameplay at all. I just think that's a great quality of life thing to have color-coded dice mm -hmm. that are a specific, what do you call that quality? Polyhedronal number <laughs> you i think you just made up a word polyhedronal uh yes the polyhedronal number is an important <laughs> factor in determining uh another action that you can do is a uh, search uh you can draw a uh, for the four plus dice you can draw a discovery card and the explorer must be in a hex with a discovery marker well remember that's where the aliens are spawning mm -hmm. typically want to clear those out when you go over there hey it's time to go look for some treasure and that treasure can consist typically of things that are worth credits that you can turn in at the end of the expedition or to get some cool stuff some cool loot to uh, make your character better mm -hmm. some some buffs to your character or it's clues. 
and clues are extremely important because there's a bigger goal at the end of this game is trying to get enough clues to go into a stronghold. And we'll talk about that in a second. So those are the two things you can do when you discover uh, the other is summon, spend a four plus die to summon a maglev transport in order to get out of there. And the last is you're going to spend dice to fight. And mm-hmm. that's where the crux of this game is. Every character has unique stats and different types of weapons they have. Some are snipers. Some are good at fighting each other. And it's those dice, the the gray, the purple, and the blue that you're going to use for your attacks. Uh, Some of them have based on distance. If you're within one to two hexes, use this type of die. If you're three to four, use this type of dice. Some have better long range attacks. The purple is always a better die to use. The gray is always the worst dice to use. Mm Mm-hmm. And on your turn, you're going to spend a, a die depending on the, the stat. It says, hey, maybe if you spend a three plus, you get this big this bonus. If you spend a six, you get this bonus. You're going to roll and you're going to look for those successes or crits to deal damage to the aliens and try to get them off the board. The different things that the heroes can do, the different combat abilities they have are pretty deep and so deep that we haven't begun to take advantage like i use we played the game twice already and i used an ability today that we didn't even think about the last time i was like right. oh i can do that i've totally forgot there's long range weapons there's short range weapons there's even weapons that only work on a range of two to three like in the middle like there's one character that has a weapon that's really bad at long range and really bad at short range but really good in that middle ground so i feel like there's a lot of balance in the way all the characters work and in the way all the enemies work too, because some of them need to get close to you. Some of them want to stay farther away and they each do different things depending on who they are and where they are on the board. I think it's really deep the way they designed all of it. And when the monsters activate, this is kind of neat too. On you, every monster or alien has a faction card and on the back, there's like an action table. You're going to roll a D 20. They call it, I believe they call it the Blackstone die. The Blackstone die. <laughs> That's which right. Which is very convenient for them because it's just black. <laughs> right. So you're going to roll it and there's a table on the back. And depending on what situation the aliens are in, whether they're in close combat or hidden or un- uh, cover, they'll do some actions. Sometimes I move towards you. Sometimes I'll stay put. Sometimes they'll charge and attack. And whenever they do an attack, they also have certain color dice that they attack you with. If they successfully hit, they deal a damage to you. And when you deck a damage, what that does is that decreases the the number of dice that you have available to you to use during your turn. Mm. If I take a wound and, and I have four dice available, then I'm only going to have three dice available next time until I try to recuperate and try to get rid of that wound so I can put a die back on. I like that mechanic too. The pool of dice you can use is your health pool. That was a much better way to say that <laughs> than the two minute explanation I just did. Yeah, that's 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 what it is. Your die is your health. Now, if they Uh, do a crit on you and put a grievous damage on you grievous wound that's it that stays on you till the end of the expedition there's no way to get rid of it till you get back to the precipice there are other ways to heal non-grievous wounds yes but if you got that one there then you're crippled for the rest of the the rest of the session pretty much and let's talk about the sessions that's really much the core of how the combat works at the end of the turn oh also there is a chance that if you've killed off aliens you roll they may spawn back the chances are pretty low that they come back but they could come back the goal is try to work through the map try to find clues get to the maglev and get out of there and your goal is to try to get through all eight of those encounter cards if you can if you can't at any time you can say i'm going to end the expedition 
and go back to the precipice. And the precipice is like your home base. But And there at the precipice, there's four ships that are docked there. And each of you have came to the precipice on a ship. And we didn't mention this. During the game, your ships can provide support. Mm-hmm. Um, as you're playing, during once during the expedition, each of your ships has little bonuses that you can use. But when you get back, the other side of the, the precipice card has now loot that you can go and spend stuff on. So you're back at the precipice. All those grievous wounds that you got are now gone. And each of you will have the chance to take the loot that you got inside of the expedition and accumulate total credits that you have and spend those credits on getting items and stuff that you can carry forward to you in the next expedition. It's sort of like a mix, a hybrid between your traditional kind of board game and the legacy games that are hot and popular now because you're not permanently affecting anything on the board but you are working your way through a singular story. And in that respect, it's kind of like one super long game that you're playing because you have an objective. You're trying to get to the center of the Blackstone Fortress. And in order to do that, you need to go to this level and then that level and then that level. But they set it up to where you can kind of play it as one session is one of those levels and one session is another. And one session is the stronghold that you need the clues to get into. So I like the way they've done that because it's sort of taking that legacy formula of having an overarching story and objective that you're trying to do, but also not having it to where uh, you're playing you know, through different things every time. It's still at the core of this, uh, the same game. And because of the items that you get, you're making your character better. Right. Exactly. And you carry those items with you from, from uh, expedition to expedition. And in fact, at the end of the game, every, you, everybody has a stasis bag. Which is just a nice little stasis chamber. Stasis chamber. I will have you know that those little plastic bags are how the characters survive in the void of space. (laughs) That's right. A plastic Ziploc bag. Stasis chamber. It is how that you protect yourself from the coldness and voidness of space. Exactly. Basically, they're a bag to be able to put your character cards and any other clues or items that you've got so that you can carry over from game to game. Now that we talked about kind of individual expedition, how does this work overall? If you get four clues, there are four strongholds you must complete. When you go into a stronghold, as a group, you spend four clues. You, you trade them back in. And then what you do is you take four of those encounter cards, just randomly pick four of those. They could be challenges. They could be maps. You get through those four. Then you go into the stronghold, which is a huge map. And at this point in time, you're going to be trying to survive and get through that. And once you get through that, you get a card that says, you successfully completed this stronghold. You have to now make sure you have four more clues to do the second, third, and fourth stronghold. And if you get all those, you get to go into the hidden vault, which is the goal of the game. And... It's not like it's one of those things that you can just keep doing over and over until you finish because every time you go back to the precipice, you have to draw a card from the legacy deck. The legacy deck could introduce some new aliens that might come out as you go into the next encounters and stuff, or it could just say as a times up card. And what that means is your legacy deck is limited to a certain number of cards. You can only go back to the, the precipice a certain number of times before you run out. If you run out of legacy cards, game over. There's a built in clock. I love built-in clocks because there's a definite ending and you need to hurry your butt up and try to get this through to those four strongholds mm-hmm. before the game ends. Another thing the game does is it scales up your enemies as you go on and on. You start out, you know, you're finding spindle drones and uh, Urgles. Little, Urgles, little troglodyte monsters that lurk around the cave. And then at the end of the game, you're finding chaos space marines mm-hmm. and demon sorcerers and it gets kind of nutty. So they, they do amp it up as you keep going. It doesn't stay the same level the whole time. Right. So as you level up, 
So does the encounters and they right. get tougher too. And some of the strongholds have certain conditions where there's like hexes on the board that will negatively affect you. So the maps can change the, the things that they can, they can do to you. The, and people may be like, wow, how long does it take you to play through one of these encounters? So an eight card encounter took us two to three hours. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a time investment, but the rules state at any time, once you finish an encounter card, as a group, you can say, you know what? Mom's calling us. We, it's time to go eat. Let's put all of our stuff back into our stasis chambers. Stasis chambers. And just stop and we'll come back and continue. Yeah. So you can pause the game at any time, save the state of the game, and then just come back and play whenever you want. Yeah. And we learned that today. We were going to play. We're just like, oh, we'll play one map. But that's a legal, totally by the book way to play the game. You play a map and then you go back to Precipice and that's that. Mm-hmm. It's really flexible in how much you want to play. You can play for 45 minutes if you're sitting down with friends in like a game night setting or something like that. Or if you want to like get a little deeper into it, you can do that too. You can do multiple eight card encounters if you wanted to. So it's very flexible. You can play through the story or you could just, like I said, sit down and play a a one-off thing. But if you're playing the one-off thing, you might as well make it part of the story. At least the clues that you gather. Yeah, exactly. You could use for somebody else to go into a stronghold. Yeah, You can just stick them with the character and let somebody else do it. Your one-off game is not going to be useless. You're still going to keep everything you get from it. One thing I forgot to totally mention during Expedition, there's an inspired thing. Uh, I love Warhammer Underworlds and there's a concept in there where the characters can be getting inspired where they're a little bit better. Same thing happens here during an expedition. You might earn through challenges, yeah. and et cetera, some ins- uh, inspiration points. And once you have enough, you can flip over to the inspire side of your character, which just makes them better. Right. Which also goes back to the rules. Was one of the things that was hard for us to find in the rules the first time through was we didn't know whether when you were inspired, if you became uninspired when you went back to the precipice. Kudos to Games Workshop, because after our first game, we thought uh, this this is messed up. Why in the world do we not know how to handle this some of some of the stuff? And we can't find it in the rules. On the day of release, Games Workshop released a two page fact, which it basically answered every rule that we came up with. So it looks like this game has been out. You know, after the rules came out, people have been testing it, and they said, "Wow, we need to touch on some of these clarifications." They immediately came out with the fact, answered all our rules, and oh, in case you want to know. No, you do not maintain your inspired status. No, you go back you to don't. uninspired on next expedition. Ouch. So, Adam, this is not your typical Games Workshop game. This is no, not where not. you and I are going to sit across on the table with a bunch of terrain and chunk dice and pull out rulers and start measuring stuff. This, at its core, is just a co-op dungeon crawler. It's a co-op dungeon crawler, for sure. It has miniatures. It has 40K. It has lore, all that stuff. But you're not playing 40K at all. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just, you're not, there's no mechanics from 40K. There's no rules or ideas mechanically at all that come from the miniatures game. It's just totally a different thing. It's 100% just a co-op board game. But, but if you do play 40K, if you do, I do. Then guess what? What? They also give you the data sheets for each of these characters oh in case you want to incorporate them in your list in 40k and they just released recently on their website released beta data sheets in case you want to use these characters in your kill team list amazing if you got this game you play these other games you can use these characters in your other games if you want they have sculpts in here for chaos space marines these are the first new chaos space marine sculpts in 20 
30 years because travis plays chaos just, space marines and, and he, he was, was like literally wept so excited. when he saw these. so if you do play 40k and you do play chaos space marines it might be worth it because there are some pretty sick models in here Let literally me. sick yeah literally they are infested <laughs> with chaos i think this is if somebody's wanting to play in the 40k universe mm. what a perfect bridge game for a board gamer to check this out without any intimidation of Absolutely. a miniatures type game. Absolutely. If if you're a hobby, I mean, for a casual player, the price point might be a barrier. But if you are a hobby board gamer and it's something you want to to invest in and try, and you're even maybe 40k curious, I mean, it still has a lower financial barrier to entry than 40k or Age of Sigmar. Sure. So if you just wanted to try it and maybe specifically try out the hobby portion where you get a couple models, try and paint them a little bit. There are some models in here that are really straightforward. The Chaos Space Marines are pretty simple to paint and then there are more complex ones that have fire and all this stuff. Which going you on. did a really nice job on the flamethrower. The was... flames coming out of the gun look really good. Thank you. Appreciate it. I was trying to get a little creative. But it would be a perfect way to do that. It's a perfect way to get some models to try it out and then maybe just like feel how it feels to move a model around and you might like it. And you might get invested in the lore. I oh, mean, th true. this that's thing true. is just rich with lore and backstory. I mean, if, and you, if you love fantasy or sci-fi, it comes with a booklet. You can read about it. There's backstories for all the characters. You might get into it. There's a novel. There's it gives novel. you like there's the a, first a chapter of a novel, novel in case yeah. you want to buy the, the Blackstone Fortress novel. At this novel. point, Games Workshop does not come out with anything without a novel. <laughs> That's also. right. And actually, a uh, uh, a friend of ours from the show, Joel Eddy, who's a big 40K fan, I believe he ordered uh, this novel. I think this would be one of these things that would be really cool to read kind of as a one-off story. Uh, 40K literature um, up until this point uh, is mostly war stories. This is something inherently different. It's a, you know, dungeon crawling. It's a mystery. It's delving into dark corners and a little Lovecraftian touches here and there. So it's something different for sure. And the nice thing is if you get this game, it's not like, oh, it's a kind of a one and done thing. You can put it away. There's no reason why you can't play through the expeditions multiple times. Now there is, and we haven't opened it yet. Once you finish the hidden vault, there is a sealed envelope. Who knows? We don't know what's, what's in, in there. That envelope? I don't know. Drink <laughs> your right. Ovaltine. Over the Christmas holidays, we are going to run through every stronghold because I want to see what's in that envelope. I really want to find out what's in the envelope. Like, and they've already announced there will be expansions for this. And it's, it's so easy to make expansions for this like i i'm not surprised at all nope so there will be expansions coming down the way so it's one of those things that hey i'm already i've played through this many hours you could get, easily can get many hours right if we're talking so many. two to three hours per expedition maybe a stronghold's two to three hours that's what 16 20 hours who knows of content maybe even more out of this one box pandemic legacy was one of my favorite games of all time and this has more hours in it, I think, than Pandemic Legacy. It would. Has, for sure. Because you can even replay it. You can't replay. That, that, that's right. And you play with different characters. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and here's the thing. You could fail. Oh, yeah. There's a chance that you may, all your guide characters may die. Mm -hmm. They die. They're gone. You may run through the Legacy deck. And the book says, if you fail, guess what? Reset. Start all over again. Yep. There is a consequence. So this is Blackstone Fortress. War, oh, sorry. Sorry. Warhammer Quest. Warhammer Quest. Colon. Colon. Blackstone Fortress. This is a big thumbs up for me. I think the fun the fun is game to play. The game's fun game is. And the game is uh, fun to play. I love the action. I love the dice selection mechanic and spending the dice to take actions. And, and certain dice are required for certain actions. And I love how your character can be built up over the time. The lore is cool. Like you said, now I will not be able to play this game. Every time I get on the maglev, I will hear the Metroid elevator theme song there in my head is. from now on. So I appreciate <laughs> 
appreciate that. In fact, that song sounds like this. That song will always now uh, be stuck in my head. Regular board gamer, hobby gamer, I really recommend checking out uh, Blackstone Fortress if you like dungeon co-op crawlers. Dungeon co-op, co-op, co-op dungeon, dungeon crawlers. crawlers. Did you um, know that? Did you know that there's linguistically a, a a correct order of adjectives to apply, but none of us know what it is. We just inherently use it. Like it sounds wrong. We, never mind. Continue. Continue on your thing. That's, I don't know. You get ready to go off on this little tangent thing. Uh, everyone tune into my TED talk on linguistics <laughs> next week. Yeah. Uh, do you get paid for that? No. No. Okay. Okay. Just, just curious. All right. Adam, thank you so much yeah, for no playing. problem. I am excited for Travis to get home from college. And we're going to dig through this. Again, thanks to Games Workshop for providing this to us. Can't wait to play some more Warhammer Quest, Blackstone Fortress from Games Workshop out now. Tony with us has become an annual tradition to have a big anniversary contest each and every year. And this year's no different. Really? I didn't know that. Do you, do you just like purposely throw me under the bus? I mean, is it like you do it on purpose to try to throw me, throw me off and get me all flustered? Because no. it works. Uh, well, that's, that's that's part of my charm. You should see my wife. <laughs> she loves it when I do that, too. I don't see how oh. she's put up 25 years with you. Yes, it's an annual tradition where we give stuff away. Give, 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 never take. No, we will take anything. If you got a game you want us to review, send it our way. <laughs> whoa, whoa, calm down. Our sponsors have been amazing, but they even went beyond amazing this time. They are amazing amazons. <laughs> First off, if you are a member of our BGG Guild, we have a special prize for you provided by Portal Games. Mm-hmm. If you go back into the archives of Rolling Dice and Taking Names, one of the f- first things I said on an episode and we found out that a publisher was and designer was listening to us, I mentioned that I was trading away Robinson Crusoe because my wife thought it was me. And she really wanted a sunny day at the beach. Although and behold, Ignacy showed a card of a sunny day at the beach on Twitter. And we went, we were gaga. We, we just went, oh my gosh, Ignacy listens to us. We may want to behave ourselves. So Ignacy has offered Robinson Crusoe. And we are going to select from our BGG Guild members a person to receive that. That's right. A signed copy of Robinson. With all the promos available at the moment. So if you're not a member of the BGG Guild, recommend you get over there and get on that. That's BGG Guild, which is number 1589. And the polls are running strong, and I appreciate those members who are going out there and keeping them going even when I fall flat on my job. Or better yet. By the way, Marty, which uh, uh, on the poll where I said the big Tonka truck, the big construction vehicle, which one did you pick? Excavator. Me too. I think if this doesn't work out, we need to form one of those big, buy a big um, sand pit somewhere and just buy one of those and let people come and rent them and we can go build and we can do that as a, instead of an escape room, a big sandbox. So for our second prize, (laughs) if you are a member of our Facebook page, if you like our Facebook page and we try to uh, interact over there, I try to do more of, after I do my game nights and everything, I try to post a lot of the pictures out there, the stuff that we're playing and people interact with us over there. If you are a member of that, you will be eligible to win again. From Ignacy and Portal Games, a signed copy of Imperial Settlers with all the promos available at the moment. Tony, that's one of the first, no, that's not as one of, that is the first game 
that we ever played uh, with Ignacio. It's the first time we met him. We sat down with us outside of the BGG room and said, here, I'm going to teach you how to play Imperial Settlers. And that's like, you guys are idiots. And I think he said it in Polish so we wouldn't get our feelings hurt. And somehow he became our sponsor from that. So that's why we're excited about this one. And remember that also a new expansion just came out for Imperial Settlers, the Amazing Amazons. So here's going to be a signed copy of the base game and all the promos. But that's not all, Tony. No, it's not. It can't be all. It, it doesn't stop there. We are going to go for our Podge Pledge backers. If you are a Podge Pledge backer. Pod? What is a Podge Pledge? It's that thing that's also a Pod <laughs> Pledge. Are you saying Podge Pledge? I did say that at the beginning, but now I'm saying Pod Pledge. Okay. Okay. If you are a Pod Pledge backer, Backer and Marty can tell you how to do all that because I just signed podpledge.com slash RDTN. There's a certain level there where you give 20 bucks. Is it 20 or 25? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Why don't you continue and I'll tell you what it is in just a second? Okay. I don't pay attention to what you put out there. Oh my gosh. I just put out there. Did they hit the incentive? Did they hit the incentive? Did they hit the incentive? I got to ship this. I got to ship this. (laughs) Cause you, you are the pod pledge backer manager. Yeah. Yeah, I am. (laughs) I'm glad we explained that now here in December after 12 months of it. If you are a pod pledge backer. Oh, it's $10. It's the even cheaper one. It's the $25 gets you into our Slack channel. $10, Tony. We should be paying people to be in our Slack channel. No, you ain't kidding. If you are at the $10 level, you are automatically entered in for one of Marty and I's favorite games from Mm -hmm. Portal. Okay, they're all favorites of ours. We can't help it. But this one is number one for me. Nirishima Hex. Oh, love that game. And Monolith Arena, which is not part of this, is also so good. But Nirishima Hex. And Marty, are, are we getting all the armies? He did not say that, so I would say no. no. <laughs> but what it is, it's again a signed copy of Nirishima Hex with all the promos. The promos, not the armies. I'm sorry, yes. I confused myself. So all the promos. So. so let's go over that one more time, Tony. If you're a member of our BGG Guild, you will be entered in to win a signed copy of Robinson with all the promos. If you're a member of our Facebook group, you'll be entered in to win a signed copy of Imperial Settlers with promos. And if you're part of our Pod Pledge $10 level, then you'll get a sign. You'll be eligible to win a signed copy of Nirishima Hex with all the promos. And the best thing about this, this is shipping from Portal Games. This is a worldwide contest. Typically, we only say only people in the United States can win. But Ignacy said, I'll ship from Portal. I'll ship worldwide. Open it up to everyone. So that's right. You three people in the UK, you might get one. Sorry, I had to. Oh, but that's not all. That is not all. Miniature Market stepped up. Oh, they did. They said, hey, we want a little piece of this. So they're going to offer, and this is the big one, everybody. That's all y'all. That's not y'all. That's all y'all are entered. So this prize will be picked from the combo of BGG Guild members, Pod Pledge backers. You will also be, if you're part of the Facebook group, everybody is going in for a $100 gift card to miniaturemarket.com. That's right. That's $100. $100. And the beauty of that is, that is worldwide. So no matter where you are, you can use this gift card. So that's right. If you're a member of any one of those, you're entered. If you're a member of all three, 
you get three entries. We wanted to make this contest as easy to enter as possible. No forms to fill out. No emails that need to be sent. No names need to be given. No surveys done. If you already are part of all those, you're in, baby. And if you believe we've made it easy for you, actually, we made it easy on us. Way to downplay this, Tony. I had to. I had we to were trying honest. to be make it sound like we were nice and everything, and then you have to go and twist it and say, well, we just want to make it easy on us. Well, if they've been listening to us, they know that we're going to be as transparent and as easy on us as we can. When does this contest end, Marty? This contest is going to end on December 31st, 2018. That means you've got, wow, a while, weeks. If this episode drops on the 11th. So that will give you a good solid two, three weeks. Three weeks to get that in. <laughs> or, or two, or, three. Or three weeks. Three, three weeks, weeks is good. Yeah. So, yeah, the- <laughs> wow. So, so yeah, my, my dates this time of year are so screwed up. It feels like it's been December forever, but at the time of this recording, it's only December 3rd. I, I am all messed up. And I was sitting there thinking we're releasing this tomorrow, but that can't be right because I haven't edited yet. That's right. So this comes out on the 11th. Get them done by the 31st. If you're already a member and done all this, guess what? You don't have to do squat. Nope. And if you aren't, all you got to do is either go to our BGG Guild 1589, join the guild. You can go to our Facebook page, like the page. Or if you want to help us out as we wrap up the 2018 Pod Pledge campaign, donate $10 to the show, which goes towards equipment and keeping our servers up and running. Uh, that's where we store all our MP3s for you know all the audio stuff and everything. $10 will uh, get you also entered into that. And again, each one of those has an individual prize. Combine the $100 gift card from Miniature Mark. So if you have any questions, please, you know, contact us via our Rolling Dice Take Names email. We'll be happy to answer them. There'll also be information out on the BGG. What's the email? Gil. The email is names at gmail.com. Yes, six years. <laughs> I got it right. <laughs> It only took six years. <gasps> Moving on. Or go post over at the BGG Guild. Um, when the show release, if you have any questions, you can post it in there. If you're posting there, guess what? You're entered into the contest, so you shouldn't really be asking a question. I'm just saying. It's the way I am. By the way, I just now noticed this, Tony. Uh, the email that Ignasi sent us listing the prizes he's so graciously giving away ended with this. Congratulations on the anniversary from your look, especially the other guy. I would guess it's the 60th anniversary. Well, what do I know? Yeah, well, that's okay. We don't age well here. <laughs> Thanks, Ignacy. Uh, he, can, he can do that. He's a youngster. I, I'm fine with that. That's true. So there you go. We're excited about this contest. Thank you for all those who have been with us all these years. We just want to give a little something back to you, a chance to win something. So again, go. Uh, we'll hit this up again at the end of the show. But Tony, the real game of sabotage, I think that uh, we really want to talk about coming up next with Fireball Island. Five-minute initiative begins in three, two, one. A five-minute initiative on Fireball Island because that's what it felt like. We had to get off the island in under five minutes because there were lava flowing everywhere and there were ember marbles throwing at me. And oh my God, it's trying to kill me. Why is your (gasps) voice getting higher? Because of stress. 
I was stressed out on Fireball Island, wondering if doom was going to come landing on my little blue character who could fall over on a instant vibration of the board, and I would have to give up my treasures. That's right, Fireball Island, The Curse of Volcar, designer Rob Davio, J.R. Honeycutt, Justin D. Jacobson, Chuck Kennedy, and Bruce Lund. Fireball Island, we interviewed Justin and Rob twice on this one. Yes. I'm going to go straight from the book. How to win. Have the most points when a helicopter returns to the island to take people away. And I have no clue what the helicopter looks like, but go ahead. You get points from treasures and snapshots. And if you're not on the helicopter, your snapshots are worthless. Premise of the game. You've got four things that are going to happen on your turn. Number one, if you've been knocked down, you stand up. I get knocked down. See, I could have done that one, but I didn't. Anyway, you. play an action card from your hand and move that number on the action card. And you must move that exact number unless you're leaving the island. But that's besides the point. You must move that number. You cannot stop short. You must continue on. Number three, draw a new action card. And number four, reset the island based on the death and the destruction that had occurred during your turn. The whole object, like we said, was to collect treasures to gain you victory points. And the more treasures that are alike that you collect, the more victory points you're going to get. And if you're the first off the island, you can collect the lucky penny. But if you're really good and you can make it to the top of the mountain and collect the heart of Volcar. Mm-hmm. Get seven points, which I carried all the way to the end. Yeah, somehow I don't know how in the world we didn't come by you and steal that sucker. All I had to do was just come by and pick it up. I know. And it was very strange that when we were playing that we kind of just missed that whole aspect of running by each other and trying to capture it. Well, I think all of us were running around trying to pick up the treasures because all you got to do is you move along the path. Uh, there's these certain spots where when you go by you have and you have treasures available, you can pick up one. And uh, you don't know which one you're going to get as you're trying to collect uh, different sets of them, right? The more sets you have of one, the more points you're going to score at the end. And it's very interesting because some of those cards, and those cards, that's one of the things that has changed from the original. In the original, you were rolling dice to move. Yes. And this one, you're playing cards. And on the bottom of those cards, there's some special actions that may occur. Like uh, there was one, I think it was move four, but you could collect all the treasures in a pad because Mm -hmm. there were sometimes multiple treasures in one pad. But another thing that you had to do is you could take a snapshot. And if you collect three of those snapshots, the helicopter returns and it's time to get off the island. Yeah, and it's like around the board, there's different places, different types of snapshots. When you land on that spot, you pick up that particular card, and you got to collect three colors of those in order for the helicopter to come, and you try to get off. But Tony, that's that's the basic part of the game. But the fun part of the game, you've got these marbles all over the place, and every once in a while, one of the cards will say, hey, you get to push a marble and see what happens. And that's where fun of the game comes in as you try to knock people over, because if you do... They're going to drop their treasures. You get to go steal one from them. I know. It's amazing. I may not be anywhere near them on the board, but if I hit them with a fireball or a marble, they give me their treasure. Uh, I guess it happens. Yeah. I don't know. But what's the best thing is using Volcar. If you play a Cataclysm card, you get to take all the fireballs from the scar and drop them into Volcar one at a time. Do not reset anything on the island until all the fireballs have finished rolling. And if you knock anybody down with that, 
You get to collect some treasure here. And also when you do that, you can like rotate Volcar one direction because he has three spouts that comes out. And 50% of the time will come right down the middle, 25% on either side. Or you can like have little, the trees have bumpers on them. So you can like mm-hmm. turn the bumper like to, to deflect a marble that comes down. So you have that option before you roll. Volcar doesn't talk out both sides of his mouth. He talks out of three sides of his That's mouth. That's right. And then there's also caves, little areas where you can move into and you can roll a die and you will come out of a cave randomly. Now you're saying, well, how is that random? Think about it, people. You're in a cave. You're lost. It's dark. You might take the wrong turn. You'll come out a different side of the cave. That's the way it goes. For me, when I started playing this game, I was like, uh, it was like after late the night, I was like, I don't know. But then Tony, by the end, we were standing up around the table, laughing, dropping the marbles, trying to get people knocked down and just pointing figures. I ended up having the best time play. It's exactly what you want it to be. It's just a light game to get with friends, to play. The board looks gorgeous. It's one of those that looks great in the collection to pull out kind of at the end of the game night and just have a bunch of laughs. I completely agree with you. I am all about that. It was a lot of fun. I was laughing, having a good time with it, and people were stopping by, talking to us. It'll get them there. So for me, I really enjoyed this game. I am so glad that I backed it. I did not get any of the expansions, but based on how we reacted to this one, I will definitely be looking at them in the future. That's Fireball Island from Restoration Games. Five-minute initiative is complete. Tony, we talked about Fireball Island and we talked about it at the beginning of the show and how amazing it looked and everything. And then we gave the review and how much fun we had with it. You know what? Why don't we just give one of those away? Why don't we include that as another part of our annual giveaways? Because you backed the game uh, on Kickstarter. You got a copy. Restoration Games was kind enough to send us a copy to give away, and we're going to do that. How we're going to do that? To all those who have gracefully backed us over the past year with their funds and their money so that we can keep this show going. So what we're going to do is we're going to give away another prize to our Pod Pledge backers. All you got to do is, is be one of our $10 level Pod Pledge backer, and you'll be entered for a chance to win a copy of Fireball Island. So that's two prizes you can win as pod pledge backers. You can win the signed uh, copy of Nurashima Hex plus this, and you're still entered for the big $100 gift card. That's a lot of gifts we're giving away, Tony. Yes, it is. And since some of our pods pledge backers are across the pond, this will be fun. Oh, I did not think about that because this is one we have to ship first. (laughs) This is one you have to ship. It's a good thing they're the $10 donors. (laughs) Okay, we'll we'll do what we can to make sure that a winner gets a copy of that game. Again, once again, thank you for Restoration Games for uh, supporting us this year and sending that uh, for us to give away. Okay, six years. I'm done. You're done? We're done? This is it? It's over? No, no, this isn't it. We're not over. I'm done with episode number 160, Sabotage. And in fact, Tony, we're done with our episodes for 2018 because the tradition here at RTDN, wow, is that right? RTDN? RDTN? I can't remember what acronym is. Is that uh, at the end of every December, Tony and I take one episode off we take one rotation also in two weeks from now we're not having an episode but we'll be back in two weeks after that because what we want to do is we want to recharge our batteries we got holidays coming up a lot of stuff's going on tony goes out of town we want to get together do some planning for 2019 we want to play some games and also the episode would drop on christmas and 
And eh, people got more important things to do than listen to us, him and Hall, you know, for an hour and a half on Christmas Day. So we're going to take this break. We're going to start working on Tony. We've already started talking about night. We got our big squirrely awards. Some they're going to be sometime in February. You and I have already started a list of items that are going to be on on the uh, uh, awards list. Uh, we're going to talk about our survey and then some comments that we got to help us look forward into 2019 with maybe some special segments, some guests, etc. So even though we won't be putting out an episode in the next four weeks, we'll be working behind the scenes or so they think. I am actually working to try to get us some new um, guests uh, or not new guests, but get some more designers on the show next year. I definitely want to do that. Looking forward to that and having them to put up with us. So I'm excited about that. And we've actually had designers come up to us and say, Hey, when can I come back on the show? And it's like, we will definitely have you back on next year. In fact, one uh, we had on at the beginning of this year for some announcements and stuff. And uh, maybe we'll do that again next year. More importantly, this is also a good chance for you and I to actually maybe pull some games off the old shelf and really evaluate them for the squirrelies. That's right. We want to go back and revisit some games that we played over the year because you tend to forget the games early in the year. And those are just as important as the ones we just want to we played. So we want to get those out, reevaluate those, see where they stand to games that we just recently played. Yeah, it's kind of like the Oscars. You know, what movies were at the beginning of the year? Mm-hmm. That's why it's funny. You know, the big Oscar movies always typically come out at the end of the year because people won't want to forget them. I think, Tony, that people purposely wait and release their games at Essen for a better chance to win a squirrely. I think you're absolutely right. And we can keep kidding ourselves about that. <laughs> I'm fine with that. Oh, my heavens. But to recap, once again, enter in any of our contests. You need to be a member of our BGG Guild. You need to be a, like our Facebook page. I guess that's what you do. Hey, oh, speaking of Facebook, mm-hmm. did you see where I actually posted a picture of Fireball Island on Facebook? Our Facebook page? I figured out how to do that. I did. And did you see the number of interactions and likes we got from it? See, it works. How many? I haven't been back since then. Oh, my God. It, it was a lot. So anyway, you got to be... Uh, Facebook, and if you're a member of the Podge Pledge, see, Podge. Good Podge God. Pledge. The Hodgepodge Pledge. Hodgepodge Podge Pledge. The Pod Pledge backers, you're also entered in that. And then, of course, everybody's put together for the big $100 from Miniature Market. Very excited about that. Looking forward to 2019. And more importantly, I want to keep rolling dice and taking names. Thanks for listening to RDTN in 2018. Remember to enter our contest, just join our BGG Guild, like our Facebook page, or support us on Pod Pledge. We'll see you all again in 2019 for the start of our seventh year of rolling dice and taking names. Tony, usually here we put outtakes and bloopers, but we didn't have any. What, after six years, have we gotten that good? No, now we just leave them in the regular show. It's not too late to head over to the Broken Token to check out all their game organizers, game components, and miniature gaming accessories for that gamer in your life who wants to stay organized and who wants to make sure that they can get a game out of the box and to the table playing as fast as possible and then put it back away as quickly so they can grab another game that has a broken token insert so they can get that out quickly. That's right. You can get more games for your buying dollar on the table in a certain amount of time that doesn't make any sense does it no but it's the efficiency of your time i'm with you i know what you're talking about (laughs) you understand what i'm talking about i know what you're saying all right well hopefully they do too so make sure to go check out all the great components and 
and options that you have over at thebrokentoken.com.